I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Hurricanes are nothing new, but are they getting worse? Recently, we've seen hurricanes rapidly intensify right before hitting land and slow moving systems swallowing cities in rainfall. In a warming world, could we see it even more? I recently spoke to Dr. Brenda Eckworzel, Director of Climate for the Union of Concerned Scientists. We unpacked the relationship between climate change and one of the most powerful forces on Earth. Brenda, thank you so much for joining me on Warming Signs. Thank you. It's really good to be here. So, so often, whenever we have a hurricane threat looming in the Atlantic, we hear about climate change in connection to those hurricanes. Is there a connection that we're confident in the science on between hurricanes and climate change? Absolutely. There is later science that is cutting edge, which has told us without a doubt that hurricane behavior has already changed because of the warmer world compared to pre-industrial levels that we have today. So it's about one degree Celsius on average or 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit global average surface temperature increase. And that's made a difference for hurricanes. What kind of difference are we talking about here? I mean, I guess, what does the research tell us with confidence is happening to hurricanes? Well, what's surprising over the past couple years is that cutting edge research is beginning to tell individual hurricanes that are being studied, such as Hurricane Harvey, for example, that hit Houston, uh, and attribute the proportion that is attributable to human-driven climate change. Um, and what's that telling us is that in the future, there may not be necessarily more hurricanes, but there will likely be more intense hurricanes that carry higher wind speeds, more precipitation as a result of global warming. And the impacts of this trend are likely to be exacerbated by another effect of global warming, which is sea level rise, affecting the storm surge total. And we have growing population along coastlines, so more people are exposed to when there is a hurricane, it's more likely to be more intense. So you're saying that we have advanced enough science at this point to go in to a hurricane and say, this is the impact of climate change on this particular storm. Is, is that happening before yeah. the storm, after the storm? Is every storm impacted yeah. by climate change? Is it, I mean, we had hurricanes long before we had humans. Absolutely. Hurricanes are a completely natural phenomenon. And that's why careful studies try to figure out what aspects are changing. To give you an example, when there's a particularly devastating hurricane, that's when scientists start pulling researchers together to study those because those are so damaging to try to get the signal. So for example, I can cite three studies on Hurricane Harvey, which hit in the August of 2017 and dumped a lot of rain, you know, almost one in 2000 year level amount of year return period for rain in on the Houston, Texas area. So if you look at the three studies, some of them say that the precipitation was maybe on average 15% more intense um, mm -hmm. and that the event was 1.5 to five times more likely on average, three times more likely than before. And other researchers said the precipitation was 
you know, nearly approaching 38% more oh, wow. uh, intense volume of rain. So there's some range in these studies, right? But they're all indicating a similar thing, more intense precipitation. And if you have a one in 2000 year biblical, you know, return period of, uh, <laughs> you know, since, since uh, AD 2000 in the year 2017, you're having a very rare event of rain on Houston. And, and it's carrying maybe anywhere from 10 to maybe 38% more water volume. 38% of a very rare, intense precipitation can be a big difference. It could be the difference between having uh, flooding up to your roof line versus something you can walk out and uh, up to knee level. That's a massive difference whenever you're talking about whether or not you're losing your home, whether or not people are losing their lives, uh, whether or not you need rescue. It is, that is a big change, but the research is not saying this hurricane would not have existed. It's saying this hurricane had a lot more rain in it because of climate change. Is that correct? Exactly. That That's the biggest change is that the, with confidence and even going forward with uh, what, what you could do is run models and you nest hurricanes within these models. And it used to be we had to wait a couple months after a hurricane. It used to be a couple years after a hurricane and you get the attribution signs. Then it started being a few months. Then with hurricane, uh, one of the hurricanes, Florence, as it was barreling down, scientists were running the ocean conditions, the actual weather conditions on the ground, running it in their models and comparing it. What if we had no carbon uh, dioxide at the levels we have today, and it was more pre-industrial levels. And they found out that you would not have had as intense a hurricane on that trajectory. Um, you know, so so the intensity and the intensity of the precipitation is what changes, as well as when there's a storm. I'll give you another example of a hurricane. Hurricane Sandy had a completely natural storm surge, and it was about 11 feet of storm surge. <clears throat> Although it was a very, very powerful hurricane that was moving through waters that were much warmer than average, and it moved further north in the North Atlantic, and it took this leftward hook towards New Jersey and New York City, and unfortunately it hit during a high tide during a full moon, another entirely natural event that added another amount of you know, uh, high water. But the global sea level rise had risen in that area about 12 inches. Globally, on average, is about eight inches. And that was the difference between lower Manhattan flooding and not flooding, because the battery in lower Manhattan would have been able to contain Sandy if it hadn't had that just that little extra difference. So is it the first wow. eight inches and 12 inches, or is it the lat eight inches or 12 inches? This is kind of like the straw breaking the camel's back in the case of damage in lower Manhattan. So there are publications where they can map which areas would not have been inundated were it not for human-driven climate change. It's fascinating because whenever you hear 15% more rain or you hear 12 inches in a increased sea level rise, it doesn't sound like a lot, especially whenever you're talking about these massive storms and all the damage they produce, but it really seems like it's a multiplier. Like it really does push it over this threshold. The, I, exactly. I do want to go back to what you were talking about with attribution and, and looking at a storm and saying this was influenced by climate change and here's what that change produced. I'm 
we're doing this in real time practically like while the storm but not because that's what's amazing to me that we are in real time able to say you know the changes that have occurred because of climate change or that this storm is more x or less x because of climate change yes wow. uh and that is really cutting edge okay so what you have to do is um, th this is another very important point about hurricane science. And it's one that can be exploited to really confuse the public. So we have satellites, j just to look at the historical evidence of one degrees C or one degrees Fahrenheit, 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit change. We have satellite records that are from 1970 till today. And that's what we have really good records, right? Mm -hmm. But we end up having that before that we've had hurricanes, but the, the evidence of their strength and severity and how many of them there were is less amount. So between 1970s and today's is not enough data. So what scientists do is create these models that rerun the past climate. We know what the winds were every four hours. We know what the ocean state was. And they can use that historical data and run them and then actually remove and have different conditions, which are the levels that, that were observed. And then you can remove the human-driven forcing of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that made the oceans warmer, made all sorts of things happen, and the atmosphere warmer. And you take that away, and these hurricanes just aren't as intense. And so mm. that's how you, you use uh, climate change to do that. And you run them many, many times. So the real-time attribution is just a few model runs. And then as they keep running the computers, so you like to have you know, hundreds of model runs because these are very rare extreme events. So you have to have many, many more model runs to get that, what we call the fat tail of an extreme event. Interesting. Okay. So that's kind of where our science is today. And it's, I mean, it has come a long way. A uh, very rapid uh, yeah. increase in skill whenever it comes to these research, the ability to research uh, what exactly is happening in these hurricanes. But it seems to me that if you think back a decade or so ago, there was mention of increased frequency of hurricanes. Not And I, and I know that that was mentioned at some point, at least it was making headlines in the media, what has that evolution been? Did we, were there studies that thought that we might have had increased frequency of hurricanes and now we've kind of moved away from that? Or how has that science evolved? Well, that science found, it, it depended on which ocean basin you were looking in. You have the Atlantic basin, typically the North Atlantic basin, which is anywhere from the equator north. Uh, so, um, and, and the Pacific Ocean, the Indian Ocean. But when you added up all the hurricanes and cyclones or typhoons, there are different names in each basin, but they're basically tropical cyclones is a scientific name. Around, you know, 90 plus or minus 10 hurricanes, tropical cyclones happen each year. Which is, so that, I'm going to pause you because I just, FYI, that's one of the coolest things in the world to me. That we're always like in the same range with globe, you yeah, know, it, this it basin changed. might have more and this one might have less any given year. But like globally, we have like the same number of tropical cyclones every yeah. year. So sorry, geek out moment. <laughs> yeah. Please it continue what you were saying. It's amazing. So that's the frequency, right? They're always happening. Um, and so there's a lot of what matters to humans is 
For example, in the North Atlantic, those early studies pointed out, like Harry Emanuel uh, from MIT, he would say, okay, globally we have that, you know, the same amount every year, but then in the Atlantic, only 12% of the hurricanes within the Atlantic, only 12% are happening in the Atlantic, and only 6% of those actually make landfall in the US. So you can see we have, if you look at historical records, you don't, it's gonna be bouncing all over the place. You're gonna hardly see much trends. And so what they do is look at the whole North Atlantic, whether or not they make landfall, and see are they getting changing behavior, are they having more intensity. And when you look around, you see other factors like the ocean cycles, like the El Nino or La Nina effect, wind shear in the Atlantic even. And so the big point is that hurricanes need a certain threshold of warm surface water. So that's why they happen tend to be in the summer season of the hemisphere you're in. And they need to have uh, this convective, they grow and they need to go up and not have some upper level wind shear nipping them in the bud. So in the Atlantic, you have these hurricanes spawning off of West Africa. You see them, these these disturbances, and, and they get little numbers on them, and they start moving, and you want to see, are they going to grow? So not all of them are going to make it because of these other factors. It's just when they do make it and they do survive, and there's atmospheric conditions that let them grow, if you have warmer ocean waters, if you have warmer atmosphere, and you have more water vapor available, when there is a storm, you can organize it into dumping more precipitation. And you, you know, the, the behavior and the size of these are growing this rapid intensification within 24 hours, like a, right. that's the new cutting edge. And I know you're so aware of this because you're a meteorologist that that's where we need to study the science, especially because that surprised us. Are we able to warn people um, and get them out of harm's way fast enough? If it's a category or a tropical storm and it's suddenly blowing up into starting to get cat one, cat two, and maybe growing faster overnight, then you may underestimate and not get out of harm's way. The first responders might not have all the best information. NOAA has, uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has improved track, and so they have to evacuate less of the coastline because the tracks are getting much more precise. The intensity is where we need more science. Yeah, we just saw that Hurricane Barbara in the Pacific, in the Eastern Pacific, just blow up from a tropical storm to a category four hurricane in a matter of hours. Yeah. Um, And we saw it with Michael. We saw it with so many different storms. And oh, intensification on landfall is just worst case scenario. While we're on the topic of worst case scenarios, this is a great time to pause for some background info. Because part of the reason sea level rise, storm surge, and rainfall flooding are so devastating to South Louisiana is subsidence. The state is sinking, and there are several factors to blame. I spoke to Elizabeth Colbert. She's a staff reporter for The New Yorker, and she wrote an in-depth piece about Louisiana's disappearing coast. She has great insight into the causes and consequences of Louisiana's land loss. The subsidence of Louisiana, is that caused from, you know, removal of groundwater or is the, you know, extraction of oil and gas there what's driving the subsidence or is it just a natural uh, thing that's happening? Well, it's a, it's a combination of, of effects in um, the whole 
all of, of southern Louisiana was, was created by the Mississippi River over many thousands of years as it flooded and dropped a lot of sediment. You know, the Mississippi River carries a tremendous amount of sediment. It's carrying uh, runoff, you know, from all across the U.S., something like, you know, over 30 states feed into the Mississippi, their watersheds, and that's carrying a lot of, you know, mud and muck and sand. And that used to, when the Mississippi flooded, that would drop out. And that's exactly, you know, why we have land in southern Louisiana. Now, for the last couple hundred years, and very much so for the last, you know, 80 or 90 years, we've controlled flooding on the Mississippi with tremendous levees and tremendous flood defenses. And that means that there's no more sediment getting deposited in southern Louisiana. So the whole place uh, is now sinking. Now, exacerbating that uh, is, as you mentioned, oil and gas extraction. Um, there were a lot of channels dug into the wetlands to get at oil, you know, to put in oil wells. Those have changed the hydrology. They brought in salt water into places that should have been sort of freshwater marshes. And that has probably uh, certainly exacerbated the problem. Some people think that maybe even just the oil extraction is sort of causing the land to slump. Um, so, and also in, in uh, New Orleans in particular, uh, because of the flooding, because when it rains in New Orleans, uh, the water doesn't have anywhere to go because it's surrounded by these very high flood defenses. They have to pump every you know bit of rain that falls in New Orleans. They have to pump it out, and that pumping of water out of the ground is also exacerbating the problem. So a lot of people are trying to think about how can we let more water just sort of percolate uh, through the ground in New Orleans, for example, to avoid some of those problems. But the basic problem that you know New Orleans is sinking is very very difficult uh, to counter. Yeah, I mean, you it's like whack-a-mole. Yeah, it is. And I mean, you know, if you look at the history of flood walls around New Orleans, um, they've gotten higher and higher and higher. And, you know, yet, arguably, the city is still in the same, you know, kind of kind of awkward position. So it, it's, it's, it's a case where you have to just, you know, eventually are you going to have a city that's essentially, you know, surrounded by extremely high high walls and, you know, is, is basically just unworkable at a certain point. So let's all hope that officials find solutions before that point arrives. Now let's get back to my chat with Dr. Eckworzel about how climate change is affecting how frequently hurricanes occur. So are we seeing more hurricanes then? Or are we staying on that global average around the same? So this is what I always say with worrying about frequency. There are some papers that are showing more activity uh, in the North Atlantic, but what's important is that what, where we see the numbers, in, it's not the total number, but the more, unfortunately, the more intense hurricane numbers are increasing. Okay. In, so, so, and that makes sense in a way because it's like um, I try to explain extreme events to people by having them roll some dice, two six-sided dice. I say roll, have a whole room roll these dice and just tell me what your numbers are and say that that's the storms of the pre-industrial. Those are the number of hurricanes. You might have some hur tropical storms at you know two, but you're going to rarely rare sit, roll a six. 
with this level of climate change, it's like you're rolling eight-sided dice. And now you can get, you know, um, more intense precipitation. You can get, you could start rolling a 16 instead of a 12. Mm, interesting. But it's rare. It's rare. Uh, how do you boil down what's happening with hurricanes and climate change into like an elevator pitch? How do you boil that down and communicate it on a level that doesn't misinterpret the science and where the science is at, but gets the point across? Sure. Um, it's basic physics. We understand that what hurricanes need to grow and thrive um, are being altered by climate change. And they need warmer water, they need a warmer atmosphere, they need water vapor. And all of those are more in abundance in this warmer world. So, and as your point about devastation, um, during that period that you just said, 2000 to 2016, is that what you said? Uh, 2006 to 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's uh, notice how he start. Uh, the person started at six, that's after Katrina. Okay, even if you leave Katrina out of it. And the historic 2005 uh, season. Yes, that very convenient. That tells you already some cherry picking. But just all you need is one devastating hurricane like Maria to alter the course of Puerto Rico. Right. All you need. We have hundreds of billions of dollars of damage just in the last few years. Also, don't stop at 2016. But just in the last few years, the amount of damage because of these more intense hurricanes uh, hitting parts of the Caribbean and North America is breaking our national disaster relief budget. It is constantly having to go back to the taxpayers to pay for this damage. And if we don't understand the causes and we don't understand how to get people out of harm's way and have more resilient infrastructure and take this seriously, we're going to have more hundred billions of dollars of damages. And we could really make a difference by adapting as well as reducing um, the pace of warming by reducing heat trapping emissions, by burning less coal, oil, gas, and um, helping with reducing tropical deforestation. So on that topic of you know what we can do, is there anything that you see happening in the world of either hurricane research in conjunction with climate change or our solutions to it that is giving you hope right now? Yes, I see that communities are stepping up because a lot of people do live near the coast and uh, there are a lot of cherished historical places also as well near the coast that the World um, Heritage Sites and UNESCO are just recently are in a meeting just a few days ago, really have, are now building a climate vulnerability index for all World Heritage Sites. Um, we're taking the initial steps to start really factoring that into deciding what to do with these cherished places. So there'll be role models for how to have adaptation in places that we really cherish that can help local communities take some of these ideas and bring them into their own communities in their homes and their businesses and where they work. We can be a lot smarter about community scale protections not just knee-jerk reactions that um, protect only a few and end up pushing the water or the harm to other um, less resourced communities. We could be much better at adapting uh, to these, these changes. For example, sea level rise, the emissions of the past are gonna play out this century 
and a lot of it is baked in. So at the coast, we have to really step up our adaptation because it will give us the biggest uh, bang for uh, reducing harm. I can't think of a better note to end on, that nice, hopeful tone of the things that are happening already and perhaps that we could do better and do more of to help us, you know, face the future of hurricanes in the U.S. Yes, and places around the world as well who are dealing with similar issues. And, and I mean, Typhoon Haiyan that hit the Philippines, the Commission on Human Rights is trying to look at all these causes and figure out what to do. Thank you so much, Brenda, for spending some time with me on Warming Signs, breaking this down, helping us better understand where the science is. And I hope that uh, we can see maybe a slow hurricane season. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for your leadership and deep knowledge on this meteorology. I really appreciate it. Hopefully that conversation will help you feel a little better prepared for the onslaught of hurricane and climate change debate that happens every time we have a storm. If you have a question or just want to say hi, please tweet at me at WeatherKate, K-A-I-T. But don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast as well. That way you'll be ready first thing Tuesday morning as you drag yourself into work. Because personally, I think Tuesdays are the worst day of the week. So that's why I have this podcast on Tuesdays. Hopefully get you started off on the right foot. From my brain to yours, until next time. 